Podcast ain't played nobody. You smell that outside? That's the off season, Bill. Oh God, I'm so ready. It smells like death. It smells like it smells like us talking about Sunbelt stats in February. Are you ready for uh, that? That I'm ready for. That part I'm ready for. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. This. <laughs> My wife is ready for this season to be over, I think. I, I've, I've apparently slowly lost my mind, like my motor function. Like, Ooh, that I sounds spilled, familiar. I, I spilled coffee the other day for no reason whatsoever and, you know, just dropping stuff. It's, it's fun. I, I'm slowly losing control of my body, and it probably has nothing to do with the fact that I've done – I've worked out maybe twice in the last 13 and a half weeks. Um, I'm sure those things aren't correlated at all, but – Apparently, when a, any cell phone makes a, uh, a FaceTime noise, like the noise of dialing in, my my 15 month old son looks at my mother and goes, "Dada." So that's a, yeah. that's a quality <laughs> endorsement of my parenting ability, right there. Um, yeah, the the three year old or the four year old, excuse me, will get home from school at like 3:45, um, and she'll want to do something like, "Can we play in my room? You can bring your computer." Uh, <laughs> oh my god, we are terrible people. <laughs> god. Um, so we'll start with coaches, coaching. Um, this is one of those weeks where we have to outline. Um, we are recording this Tuesday, the 1st right. of December, um, early morning, mid-morning, um, because a lot of the ground is, is moving underneath our feet. Um, what to you is stranger? Um, I'll pose some of this stuff as questions to you and stuff that, I, that I'm working on. But what, what to you sticks out more? the almost, I guess, inevitability of apparently Kirby Smart to Georgia or the fact that now after being rebuked a few times by some names, South Carolina is seriously considering Will Muschamp? I, I mean, the Kirby Smart thing we've at least heard, I mean, that I, I, don't, I don't like that at all. You know, he, he has to be fantastic to be better than Mark Richt. And you just dumped a guy basically to prevent uh, South Carolina from getting him. Like you, you dumped Mark Ricks so that South Carolina couldn't get Kirby Smart. Um, and maybe that's maybe that means Kirby Smart's going to be awesome. I don't know, but I, <laughs> it, it that just that that boggles my mind. And it, it reminds me that you know I can talk about I you know coaching changes on paper and and everything, and, and these things are so stupid and emotional sometimes. Um, that it, it blows my mind, but the Will Muschamp thing somehow that didn't catch me off guard yesterday. That popped up that he was suddenly getting serious consideration for the South Carolina job, and I just he got fired from Florida, and not only and not because like Florida has massive expectations, they do, but he won like what eleven games in two years there uh, and got dumped, and that's that is what it is. But then you know, so so then you go to our little coaching rehab stint. And he got Auburn. Auburn's defense fell from 20th in defensive S&P Plus. They're currently 51st. And now he's going to get another head coaching job based on that. I, I do think that with, with all the Saban assistants and with Muschamp suddenly getting his name back up, it really kind of feels like the SEC, uh, Missouri aside so far, thank God, um, the SEC is starting to value SEC experience over like quality or experience overall. And I think that's how you become insular and, and incestuous to the point of not being the best conference in the country anymore. That's, that seems like a terrible thing to me that they're, they're just suddenly like recycling guys from inside the conference when, I mean, first of all, by my numbers, you still have the best conference in the country this year, but barely. Uh, and your East, your entire East division was terrible. And you're still just going to recycle this like everything's fine and SEC experience means something more than other experience. That's just that drives me nuts. That's how you that's how you lose your spot at the top of the throne. Absolutely shocked right now that aside from the less miles debacle that you're not seeing some of the smaller programs in the West, uh, you know, uh, beating their chests over the, the you know disappointing seasons they've had. Um, the one that was going to happen, we felt like was Brett Bielema because they lost early on to a Mac team. And then he turned around and beat LSU and he beat Ole Miss and he beat Missouri and he looked good down the stretch, which is exactly the situation he was in last year. Um, I think maybe that's the message to coaches is if you're going to have the gaff, just make sure it's not in November. Um, that's an interesting theory that you bring up, Bill, that the, the idea of this perpetual, unrealistic self-improvement kick for every program that is in Alabama is going to slowly erode the conference because you look at the Mark Rick and Les Miles situations and they're, they're incredibly similar in so many, in, in so many ways. And I'll be honest with you, the, the, 
I've got a better handle and I've got better sources and better people in that in at LSU than I do at Georgia. But I've I, I talked to people involved in both situations, and there is a common theme when you get to the money layer of this: the donors, the the people who make emotional decisions with their support, and that's Nick Saban. Yeah, you know, obviously it's a much more personal situation at LSU, but I think that a lot of the the money around Georgia started to kind of build their frustration and, and, and draw that line in the sand with Rick right after they got dismantled by Alabama. Um, you know, for miles, it's been much more consistent because they're division rivals. But I think that there's a um, kind of the same mentality in Athens. Why, why not us? Not only why not us, but why are we so bad when we play this one program that seems to have it together? So he is the he is the rock with he is the rock against which all other top programs break themselves against. I, I, it just it drives me crazy. I mean, that's just that is like textbook wrong way to make important decisions, and that's college football. Like that's boosters are just idiot fans that actually have influence, and you know they're they're the message boarders. But instead of talking to themselves, they actually can get like an audience and. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, this is this was kind of informative, though, because Rick has been so good for long enough that even though people were, you know, even though Georgia fans were always c- complaining about, you know, the offensive coordinator of choice, sometimes more justifiably than others, um, the, <laughs> we we forgot that they've got a lot of crazy in them, too. We see oh, LSU, we, we see LSU's crazy a lot. We see Tennessee's crazy a lot. Um, but Georgia's was kind of tamped down to a certain degree and it just exploded this year. And, you know, it's nice to be reminded of that, I guess. All the, all the, all the you know, we, we stereotype and we laugh at LSU um, because it's fun to do that. But as far as when you get to the football parts, they're no different than Auburn or Georgia or Tennessee or Auburn. Hell, yeah, I Ole Miss now. I mean, it's it's the same. Yeah, you're, you're dealing with uh, uh, dumb people with disposable incomes. Um you know, with absolutely no patience. That's just, there's no difference between LSU and those other programs. It's, um, I thought one thing that was funny, uh, you start walking backwards through these last couple of years for Miles and, and Rick, and I kind of, I'm speaking of Miles in this scenario as someone who was dead to rights, fired. Yeah. Um, you know, more and more will emerge over time on this, but I think, you know, it's safe to assume that that the popular theory of, of, of Jimbo Fisher um, being in the bag and then not being in the bag is is what contributed to to Miles staying. I was asked on a couple of radio shows the last couple of days, you know, did it have anything to do with the A and M game? I don't I don't think it did it at all. Um, decisions are not made, you know, th- these people are not the smartest in the world sometimes, but decisions are not made based off of a, a, a cruddy, you know a cruddy season ending conference game in which your offense still looked bad. Your defense looked good though. Um, so I, no, I don't, I don't think that's, that's it at all. But what was funny is you start walking it back and I, I start thinking about Bob Stoops in Oklahoma, you know, Lincoln Riley was a really good hire. Yeah. Um, Brian shot, Brian Schottenheimer was a really bad hire. Um, Jeremy Pruitt was a hire that has proved very divisive for Georgia. It's interesting to see Bob Stoops constantly overhaul his coaching staff and maintain and maintain a certain level of success. It's very, very hard to do that. Right. And um, he, he's made some steps that weren't as good as others, obviously. But yeah, Mark Ricks, um, the, the variety of, of quality when it comes to his coordinator hires just through the years has been incredible. Um, and, you know, you think about... Uh, what's his name? William Martinez uh, and you know Jeremy Pruitt. He hired both of those. And Pruitt, for all of his divisiveness, he's a good coach. He, he didn't do quite as well with that unit as I thought he would this year. I'm sure he's he will would would uh, volunteer to give you reasons for that. But um, but I mean th- that was clearly a, a huge hire and and one that would probably pay off more often than not. But then yeah, Schottenheimer. Everybody immediately was like, what what? <laughs> And then it turned out to be a bad hire. Like everybody, the initial reaction is, is so frequently wrong, especially when we're dealing with coaching changes, but it was kind of dead on right about this one. So I don't know. Um, Miles, uh, Miles yeah. probably falls into a different category in that the, the, the story on him has always been a 
frightening resemblance of the same problem. Like the, the, the problems yeah. don't seem to shift away on offense, no matter who is behind there, Gary Crouton or right. Cam Cameron. It's um, that tends to lean more towards miles being the problem. Um, which is, right, a, right. which is an issue that is not going to go away just because he had sort of this weird, I don't even know how I would describe the end of that game. I mean, it was almost like a staged PR event. Yeah. And it's going to be so funny when all those people, um, cause let's face it. I mean, every single person that was standing and applauding in that stadium for him uh, at some point in the last like three months has said, you know, I wouldn't mind if he got fired or something to that effect, uh, because he, his faults will drive you nuts. There's no question. Like, even when I was railing against the thought of firing him last week, I knew, like, if I, he was my head coach for 11 years or whatever, he would drive me crazy. And so, yeah, next year they're going to go back to being driven crazy again, and it's going to be pretty funny. Yeah, nothing really changed. Um, I, I, uh, one thing I did notice, I think, I think I'm starting to understand, I'm starting to see the matrix inside the SEC fandom. Uh, so I was in Louisiana coming from the Houston Navy game. Um, so I had made it to Monroe to my in-laws on Saturday evening. I had spent all Friday um, with uh, with Coach Herman and his staff and and uh, and his players and just covering that game because it turned out to be kind of expected a closer game, but it was it was still interesting nonetheless. And you know, Tom's name has been at the front of pretty much every job search, whether yeah. whether legit or not. Um, so I went down there, talked, spent some time with Hunter Yurchak, the AD at Houston, and um, I was on my way back. And I kind of arranged my travel, skipped the midday. I listened to uh, Ohio State, Michigan for a minute on my way back. So I get in. I'm in Louisiana. Obviously, I'm, uh, I'm with a bunch of LSU fans. The theater of Les Miles, and just judging by like my Twitter feed, completely obscured the awesome, like great football game that was Stanford-Notre Dame for like yeah. an entire region of people were watching a man sing the alma mater and walk off a field – and then that whole crazy press conference just, I mean, I think once the, it was like an hour later when the dust settled where people were like, Oh, Oh wow. Okay. Stanford hit a, like a field goal to, to beat. Oh, Notre Dame's out of the playoff. Oh wow. Okay. It was that kind of insular thinking or like just where your attention's at, because it's not just LSU fans. It's anyone in the sec. When, when one of those coaches falls, everyone's watching. So, um, that's just a strange thought because we're, we're seeing the finite amount of like college football we have left this year. And no one I know that follows college football that was like east of the Mississippi, you know, the, south of the Carolinas was watching Stanford Notre Dame, which was a which was a really good game, by the way. Oh, it was it was great. I, I was mad, though, because I was trying to flip between a bunch of games at that point, including LSU. And um you know, I, I missed a couple touchdowns. I saw a couple touchdowns. But, yeah, fourth quarter comes in the Stanford game, and I give it all my attention. I, I stop flipping. I put the remote down, and the points stop. That's been, that's been the story of my season. Like, I can't see points. I, watched T, I was ready to, for TCU Baylor to, you know, shower me with the points that I have not seen in Missouri games this year, and that became an epic slog that looked like Missouri playing Missouri. So I am, I am the, the just the – doomsayer when it comes to actual offense being played well this year. I should also thank uh, the University of Houston, Houston and Tom Herman specifically for being so in, um, so in rumored, so involved, um, because at the very last minute I pulled up stakes and decided to skip the TCU Baylor game and go write about this guy who I thought was going to be the next head coach of about five places um, and saved me from a fate far worse than the Clemson-Notre Dame hurricane game. That thing oh. looked beyond because it, Clemson Notre Dame was bad and may have changed the course of the whole season, but it wasn't cold and apparently it was freezing there. Yeah. And, and it was also a big, like it's even worse to win. Uh, so you get in and it's wet and it's raining and it's kind of this delirious kind of, ha ha ha, this is a, this is ridiculous kind of thing. Um, but you could tell it got worse as the game went on, on uh, Friday night, the, the rain just got worse and worse and the stadium got thinner and thinner, even though it was a tight, important game. Um, people were just saying, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, like that, that's always the worst. Like you can kind of condition yourself to, to deal with it and, and laugh about how ridiculous it is. But then eventually it just, it, it knocks you out. It beats you down. And that was clearly the case with that game. That would have been so awful. Really, really interesting to see how weather. I, I can't think of a game that destroyed weather, or I'm sorry, a weather that destroyed a game in terms of planning and what, like, you know, the particular skills and what an offense does well. The like late third to late fourth quarter was 
essentially a high school game where both teams had just said, screw it, we're just going to have to run like a base option. Except there are points there where the teams started to, they, they, they were, I say that, but then on third down, on third and six, third and seven, they would still want to throw the ball 20 yards. Yeah, yeah, there were, I swear they were like, in, in about a span of eight plays, Baylor went deep on like five of them and went over five. They were just, it seemed like they were, they just had no idea. And clearly, like when, especially when you're used to succeeding, when you're suddenly failing at everything you're doing, like I, I assume you kind of lose your mind a little bit. Like, well, I, I, well they showed Meacham on the sideline, um, just like crouched, in, oh, in, almost, yeah. almost like in a fetal position. A broken uh, man. Just like, I, I don't know what to call. But uh, I, but then at the, on the flip side, I was kind of hoping that, that we would end up seeing like 12 straight touchdowns in overtime just so at the end of the day, it was still like 61 to 59 or something um, uh, in, in the dumbest, uh, most miserable way possible. But we didn't even get that. When I get to those teams in the offseason, I'm going to ask if, like, do you, in hindsight, regret just not scrapping everything at about midway through the third and saying, all right, we're running the veer everybody like and i really think they can i'm not joking i think that the coaches are sharp enough i think the players are 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 sharp enough to i mean it it sounds crazy to say that because it's like a high they're high scoring whatever the perception is passing but they could easily line up and probably run five or six plays now keep in mind in those conditions the defense they could know it's coming but it's a matter of stopping it because everyone's angles go to hell Right. Like no one was able to line up and, and tackle squarely. It was very sloppy and then running lanes were shot to hell. So that's what I'm doing. If I'm in a situation where it's so bad that an experienced quarterback like Boykin can't seem to, to keep a grip on the football and the wind is bad, like that was the only thing, the wind was moving in like multiple directions. Yeah. Yeah. Just let, let's run six, let, let's go six running plays and see what happens and, and definitely stop throwing the ball on third and six. Yeah, that was, um, I mean, I was annoyed because I, I, I felt I had earned a shootout and I didn't get it. But, um, man, yeah, that was, that was, that was weird. And it, and it is funny, too, because that just blends into this. This is the funny thing about, you know, using stats and whatnot, too, is that just blends into the stats looking like two defenses played immaculate football. Um, and, you know, Baylor's still number one in offense, but their advantage over Texas Tech went down by three points. Um, I would do a weather adjustment if I could. There's no way to, because half the time when you've got weather like that, it's not quite that bad. And the defense is wrong footed a lot. And you know, the offense has the advantage. So it was that is just, a great, that is a great application for your stats is how do you asterisk that? You can't really, can you, you can't, there's no, because it's like coaching changes or anything else. We can say, you know, it has an effect and we need to adjust for it. But over time, the effect is basically zero. Sometimes it favors this, sometimes it favors that. And, and, so it's really, really hard, I think, to, to adjust for that. I think Aaron might do that on the pro side of uh, Football Outsiders. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a way to do it. But, um, is, it, it but is there a way, just for us, us non-mathematician types, is there a way to do that and still maintain well, the integrity of the rest of the, of the staff? Well, I mean, if, if you can you know, prove that in snow, uh, you know, pass efficiency goes down and this and that. Because, I mean, basically all these ratings are, are designed – to create a, an expected value. Like if you're an average team or a good team or whatever, you're expected to do this against this opponent. Technically, you could say this against this opponent in these conditions if there's something you know, statistically significant there. I don't know if there is. There probably, I'm guessing there's probably not, but maybe. On a less intellectual note, shout out to the um, TCU cheerleaders who captured the hearts of a nation in a non-lecherous, <laughs> skeezy way where everyone just was like, oh, God. Somebody get some wind pants for those girls. Um, moving on to less uh, engaging news, but um, I feel like I should do it. Um, I've been uh, I've had a, a crappy morning because uh, we're in the middle of we're we're at the height, the peak of the silly season. You know what the silly season is? If you're not familiar with that term, is a rampant amount of coaching news that comes fast and um, and furious. And uh, is often uh, unverified. And so I was on the losing end of a report that got, I guess, nullified, proven wrong. Um, it's a pretty terrible feeling. It's, um, it's, uh, it's pretty awful. So on Sunday night, I had two sources confirmed to me, independent of one another. And let me back up by saying, you know, every every website, every news outlet has their own process. And I helped develop our, our, our editorial process when I got to SB Nation because my position was sort of the first of its kind when I got to the site. And 
and I always use multiple sources to verify pretty much anything. Um, it's, it's, you know, I'm not trying to brag, especially right now, but that's kind of the, the, the standard operating procedure for most news outlets. Um, and what's really frustrating about that and holding yourself to that is I've, I, I had to sit on a much, much larger coach, uh, coaching move. And I'm not even going to say which one in the last seven days. And I knew it was going to happen. I watched it happen. And when I was unable to report it, because I had one really, really, really good source, uh, and I didn't have a second one that could get on the same page with that source. And so, um, my one really, really good source was right. And I just had to kind of watch the news happen. And as, as someone who works as a reporter, um, you have a weird, bizarre need to, to bust your ass and get that information out. Not necessarily first, but get it out. Um, so on top of that, which that happens and that's okay. Um, I had multiple sources verify something I ran that turned out to be incorrect. So I think that's, that's the double whammy. Um, that's, that's really me being damned if I do and damned if I don't. Um, so I reported that Dino Babers was going to be hired by UCF based off of two sources. And, uh, I specifically reported that an announcement was coming. Um, and then that was denied by the coach, which is fine. I've had coaches deny things that I've reported before that turned out to be true months later, weeks later. Um, but then obviously UCF hired a, a guy who was not Dino Babers. He's Scott Frost. So, um, this happens. It, uh, is supposed to not happen. If you're really, really good at your job, um, I'm kind of, I'm on the wailing wall right now about it, but one thing I'm going to do here is use this podcast as a platform, one, to do the mea culpa and two, to ex- kind of help people understand how these things happen. Um, the, the best way I can explain it is that we have to operate in certain shades of gray. We take certain, we take certain knowns and we piece them together because the way the process works between contract negotiations and, and coaching coaches leaving and coaches coaching staff staying and going, you get a lot of misinformation out there. Um, if I had to do it over again, I would probably, the scary thing is that the, the individuals I use, I, I would have trusted them again. And so, uh, that's both comforting and terrifying. Um, but what can happen oftentimes is, uh, you see, you'll see phrases such as coach announced, Coach has agreed to agreement in principle and then um, contract sign. And those are all different shades of the same thing, essentially. But what is different about them is the wiggle room that's allowed. So without getting into specifics on what happened, because I can't really do that without betraying individuals um, that I use on a regular basis, uh, there was enough wiggle room and uncertainty for what I had reported to end up not happening. Um, I'm confident that I had good information at the time, but it needed to come with a caveat and I didn't add that. Um, it sucks. It's not something I'm particularly fond of, um, having to deal with. I, uh, you know, we do stuff here at SB nation that relies on the reader's ability to put faith in us and to put trust in us. And, you know, going back to the whole bagman thing, which is kind of, you know, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, that would probably be the first line in the sentence. Um, <laughs> it, it, the bagman story, it, it really asks, it kind of demands of you, the reader, to trust me because we don't use specific name sources. And the reason we didn't do that in that case was um, our editorial objective was not to go after any school, any fan base, any group of people. It was to show a larger system at work, which if you choose to believe that, that's where the story takes you. And that's the story outlines the process. And we, we've, you know, I spent a lot of time vetting out people at multiple schools in the Southeastern Conference to make that story work and to feel comfortable enough for myself and my editors to run it. However, you as the reader, there is no name attached to it. So when people would say to me, Oh, you just made all that up or it's embellished or this or that. And I actually, <laughs> this is a, a little further off in the ditch, but, um, this fall we, we intercepted some, um, uh, freedom of information requests about something completely un, unrelated. And it was a, it was an SID at an SEC school claiming that I had made the whole thing up. Um, and so I got in touch with that individual and, and spoke with them thoroughly, but, uh, that's fine. That that's fine. Um, when I write stories like Bagman, 
I ask you to look at the rest of my work as a, as a sort of like a verification, basically. It's like that little blue check on Twitter, but it's just for like what I do. And this hurts that it sucks. Um, you know, we'll do better. That's it. That's all I can say. The, the, and people have, you know, people have tried to have said, because I have a very supportive base at SB Nation, well, so-and-so screwed this up this morning. Like literally this morning as we were figuring this out in the editorial room, like we were watching four other reports on unrelated matters where large outlets screwed up firings or hirings or whatever. It's That's part of the season, but that's still not an excuse. And, and our job is to, as this information goes and becomes crazier and crazier every year, is to separate absolute fact from possible, fra- you know, a fractal amount of fiction. So it sucks. I feel like I also ground the podcast to a halt here, Bill, so help me out. Well, this is why people um, listen, right, you know, to the, the inside See baseball. See how the sausage is made? That's right. Um, no, I, I mean, the, the last point is key. Just that this does happen, and, I, you know, A, I'm very glad that this is not my – thing i i still i hate it when i get like in the off-season previews i hate it when i get somebody wrong it, it's irking me to no end that boise state is whatever the hell they are seven and five or whatever um because i said they had a very good chance of going undefeated and that drives me crazy georgia i had georgia in the top five i mean i i then i, I then reminded myself that i was you know first on the oklahoma bandwagon but but still i mean i think it's good when you get things wrong and take it very seriously. I, I, I get the impression that that isn't the case with a lot of people um, that they just, you know, move right on to spray in the fire hose in another direction. But, um, you know, it gave me an excuse to, in our, in our little chat room to post a, the, the Taylor Swift shake it off video. I felt pretty good. Yeah. About that, that was how, that was how Bill made me feel better. <laughs> and although this was the first time I, I didn't actually listen to, and this is the first time I got that song in my head that it, where it wasn't my four-year-old singing it in like the last year. Um, but I, I still felt pretty good about it. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, like the funny thing is you don't really have to, I, I'm working on closing a large investigative piece that I've been like sometimes picking at, sometimes like diving into for the past 12 months. That's what I'm doing today. I have a long form I'm finishing and I have an essay for the holidays I'm finishing. And I have like, I'm sitting here as we, as we record this, staring at my phone, watching like six or seven other jobs, trying to figure out what's going on. So, um, you, that's, that's why it's called the silly season is that there's this insane amount of information that's just firing out. Um, I was so happy by the way that, you know, every year that this happens, I didn't have to worry about it sucking my school into the vortex. And now, um, and now it's my, we're in the vortex. Uh, before we jump into my assignment for the weekend, which is the big 10 title. Yeah. What, um, as a fan, as a, as a, well, not lifelong, but I mean, what was it say? Lifelong fan of Missouri as someone who's living and dying. What's it like right now for you? And then also, I, also give me your best case scenario on coaches. If you want to give me your best case yeah. scenario on coaches and then also give me the worst thing that you've heard that applies to Missouri. Well, the thing is, you know, I, I, every year I tell fan bases, you know, freaking out is ridiculous because you, because we never, ever, ever know unless, unless you're Kansas hiring Charlie Weiss, um, the, the correlation between, you know, what we consider good and bad hires and what ends up being a good and bad hire. Jim Mora, uh, at UCLA was kind of unanimously not, not Charlie Weiss level panned, but Nobody was impressed with that hire, and and granted, he, you know, this year hasn't been incredibly impressive, but that was a that was a very very good hire by UCLA. I mean, there are so many examples of, you know, Rich Rod at Michigan when it happens, they're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. He's doing great at West Virginia. Wait till he gets to Michigan, um, and that doesn't work. So, you know, I can, you know, I've been a Barry Odom fan since he was a Missouri player, and and um, so if Missouri were to hire him and. Yesterday it looked imminent. Today it looks not imminent. Uh, just like reading Twitter, reading the the rivals boards and whatnot, it, it kind of seems like you know every single day there's a new, a completely new favorite and what's likely and not likely to happen. Um, but the constant is that no matter what little tidbit somebody digs up, um, you know, two thirds of the fan base just freaks out and says it's the end of the program. It's it's hilarious to me. Coaching changes bring out the most insecure and the most arrogant in, in a fan base at the same time. Um, you know, no game, no name that somebody can bring up is good enough. Like somebody pointed out the other day, who was a Virginia tech fans freaking out about like rich rod. Now granted they, they ended up making a great hire. Um, 
but yeah, like we're, we're always too good for the names, but we shouldn't be lowering ourselves to stooping down to that level to, to get, you know, whoever people freaking out about Matt Wells last night when his name came up with the Missouri uh, situation. Uh, he's done a hell of a job at Utah state considering their injuries. Uh, he's done a hell of a job keeping that ship moving forward. They didn't have a great year this year. And that's what everybody immediately reacted to was who's Matt Wells, Utah state. They're six and six this year. That's terrible. At the end. Um, obviously, because of my job, I've got a, a, a decent base of knowledge in that regard, and I can look at the, some of that and, and not freak out. But, you know, it's kind of just watching the, the stereotype reactions come and, and everything and, not, and just knowing that it's, you know, dealing with my school at time is just, uh, this time is just, well, it's annoying, basically, and uh, I'm ready for this to be over. Apparently, the expectation is that Missouri's search will be over in the next 24 hours. Um, whether that's Barry Odom or somebody else, it sounds like Mac Rhodes was flying around the country over the last 48 hours, um, talking to a variety of candidates. So we'll see, but, um, yeah, this is just annoying. And, and, and it, it, it is, uh, it is funny though. I mean, every fan base is the same. That's the one thing that this job has just hammered home. We all think we're special and we're all the same. Like we're 10% different from fan base to fan base. And, and uh, coaching season is a good reminder of that. It's, uh, it's very hard to, in some cases, translate whatever you think your your program's worth is into a job market, okay? Because you don't have like a you don't have the spectrum of available candidates. What's so interesting is is we're we're trying to measure. We started comparing uh, coaching hire seasons year by year and, and by by how many jobs are open. And sometimes I think we're looking at it the wrong way and. and and trying to let me back up and say athletic directors are always looking at available talent, even when they're completely secure with right. who they have. Uh, one great example of that was I would go see Virginia tech's athletic director, Whit Babcock for a story, or I would call him for a story. It had nothing to do with anything in, in, in the coaching world. Okay. He had, you know, he was part of the team that hired Butch Davis in Cincinnati. He brought in Tommy Tuberville and then he left and then he was the guy who who pulled off one of the cleanest, most airtight coaching searches and hiring process, all that stuff with Justin Fuente now at Virginia Tech. Um, but I would talk to him and he would say, I, I would mention, I don't know, I'd talk to a, a defensive coordinator somewhere. He'd say, what's that guy like? You know, uh, do you think he's a head coach one day? And, you know, he's asking me. And at the time, I'm like this, you know, 28-year-old reporter. I'm like, yeah, sure, you know, I know what I'm doing. Uh ADs are always looking at the talent available. Now, whether or not a program that you think ranks at like the X position nationally can get a corresponding coach or better is really not a, that's not indicative of the worth of your program. If I I don't know if I'm making sense here, it's what the availability of guys, the, the contract details, how they leave their previous programs, what their programs are returning on their roster the following year, what you're returning, how much time are you giving? So many factors are coming in now where I've heard so many stories of saying, Hey, you know, I I did want to take X job, but there was this problem. And none of that really comes to light because coaches, there's a lot of things coaches aren't going to say. Okay. I talked to an athletic director a couple weeks ago and he told me there was an athletic director with a coach that they had hired last year. And he was telling me the five other guys that he interviewed and it kind of, some of them really kind of blew my mind. Um, you never hear about that. And if you would, if, if publicly you were to look at everyone that got, if, if AADs came and turned all their cards over at the end of these processes, I think <laughs> people would be shocked and, and it would only complicate the, what is my program worth even more? People are looking at unorthodox hires. They're looking at maybe it's younger, maybe it's older. There is a little bit now. I'm starting to see a little bit of the NFL type mentality of just well, just reverse what you just did, kind right. of similar to like what Nebraska did with Pelini uh, and Riley. Uh, that, which, by the way, that's any hiring trend from the NFL is terrifying. Yes, I think we can say that across the board. There's, I don't really think anything in terms of personnel in the National Football League we won't apply to college football. Um, so it's if, if you're a fan right now and you've got a if you've got a job to fill. Um, know that there's a hell of a lot more going on than, than you realize. And the guy you end up with, it may not be your ideal candidate, but it's not as simple as just saying, Hey, I want X. 
And, you know, uh, not every athletic director is good, but any good athletic, uh, athletic director is going to realize that, you know, your school is different. And you, if, if they are um, worth their salt, they're going to understand, uh, have a decent view of, like, you know, the, the recruits you think you can draw here and, and the guys who might be able to uh, most adequately make do with those recruits. And, and that, you know, they're going to interview guys and see what their plans are. And I'm sure, sure some of those interviews are terrible. It was something happened with Mac Rose's interview with Matt Ruley on Sunday or rule on Sunday with at temple where he went from the foregone favorite to that's it. There's no, there's no relationship here. Like in an hour, um, Which, I, I by the way, let me jump in, right, and, and that's a great example, Bill, because right now, if you put Matt Rule's name into Twitter, you're seeing uh, Matt Rule is no longer a candidate. Matt Rule has withdrawn from consideration. Right. Matt Rule wants to stay at Temple. Uh, Missouri did not want Matt Rule. Now, which one of those? Which one of those is correct? We don't know. Right. I mean, that's you I, know, I, I can I, go I, and the talk way. to the individuals involved, usually well after the fact. But until that time comes, and, and, and they may say, hey, this is off the record, you know, you don't ever get a clear picture of how these things shake out. And then these huge identity complexes are built out of that. Yeah, I mean, that's with rule. We're never going to know if it was, you know, him just saying something that Rhodes thought yeah, that's not going to be a fit or if it was I'm going to need this much money or rule saying uh, asking questions that he didn't like the answer to and saying I'm, I'm not. A candidate, but yeah, like, and by the way, Gabe DeArmond at Power Mizzou um, seems to be incredibly well sourced. He he was on the rule thing Sunday night. Like, I woke up Monday morning and saw it. Um, uh, and and but yeah, we're, we're not going to know. We just know that it ended there. And then yeah, two days later, it comes out that he's, um, you know, he's now withdrawn his name. Well, it's not like his name either by him or by Missouri. His name was withdrawn Sunday night. But um, you know, that's that's how the the flow of information works, I guess. Um, no, I, I really, I, so far I've not had any reason at all to not trust Mac Rhodes. And I say that even though I know that he was very close to offering Will Muschamp the Houston job last year, um, which, which has just given me the shivers, uh, every day, every day that I realize it and it, and it will continue to until this search is over. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he had the, it sounded like he was basically what down to Herman and Muschamp and kind of sort of made an awesome hire, even though maybe he was close to not doing it. And I feel bad. I feel bad saying all this about Will Muschamp because the next time, you know, Nick Saban failed once too. Like he he could be amazing next time around. Well, and Um, I think um, I'll add this on Muschamp based off of people I have talked to. And as we're following what happens at South Carolina and Georgia, Will is looking for stability more than anything else right now. Um, And so if that stability is offered, if he feels like he can be, what I mean by stability is, I mean, he knows he will have a job for the next three to four years at the same place. So if Will thinks that that's going to be at Auburn as a DC, I think he would not go to it. Gosh, almost any head coaching job. I think, I mean, if Georgia offered him, he'd take it, but they're not going to. Um, And then if Will thinks that being the head coach at South Carolina, if they are going to say, Will, you've got four years or you've got three and a half years for sure, no matter what, then I think that's what he's going to take. And I think a lot of coaches, when they are weighing the jump, it's not so much the worth of the job or the institution. It's, well, how long are they really going to give me for financial and family and and other non-football reasons, which is another thing that factors in. Also, you know, Tampa and Orlando are not – uh, power five cities, they have really nice places to live. Yeah. You know, uh, Ames, Iowa is awesome, but it's not, you know, uh, a warm weather environment. Let's just leave it at that, you know? And so all, a lot of these things start back is now, would you rather be a head coach in the big 12 or would you rather be a head coach in the ever changing AAC? Well, you're going to say the big 12. I get that. But then start looking at the situation. What does that mean that, you know, uh, Central or South Florida is a better job than Iowa State? Well, maybe. That's what we, I mean, that, this is the kind of stuff we debate all the time at SB Nation. That, and when, how many people vote in our rankings at SB Nation? Bill? Three. I think it's you, I think it's you, me, and Bud. Right. So, so our college football editor, Jason Kirk, has asked uh, my, the two of us and Bud Elliott to come up every time a job, of, we create like a ranking, a like best available job. And it's been pretty uniform, but you start to really 
get into this like i think we've i don't know if we all agreed or not on like placing a high level aac versus like a low level big 10 or 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 big 12 and it's funny because you look at some of those open jobs like before minnesota made uh tracy clays their official before um bill cubit at illinois um we were I, i was i was in there beating a drum that i'd rather take central florida does that make a better does that make your illinois job bad no i think it's just a situation designed for a coach which by the way Quick segue here. What does it say to you that uh, that those two jobs were filled by interims at the Big Ten? Because what it says to me is that they don't want to try and test their worth in the market. Yeah, um, Minnesota's. I didn't really love Minnesota. Uh, just promoting Tracy Clay's. It, it kind of sent a message that like we're okay with being seven and five most of the time, and maybe occasionally being better. Um, Illinois just punted. And, and, you know, with their interim situation where, like, the entire university has an interim title at the moment, maybe that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, just saying, okay, well, two more years with Bill Cubitt. I mean, they're, they're not recruiting top 15 classes, so it maybe doesn't hurt, hurt recruiting that much. But I've never seen that. Like, not only gives, giving some guy a, a two-year contract after, by the way, going five and seven. Illinois was actually pretty competitive for the year, finished the year horribly. Um and and he still got a, a two-year deal and then the interim ad or whoever that was coming out and basically saying well this isn't going to kill the program you know like, oh well good i'm, I'm glad we <laughs> I, i'm glad we've uh figured out that uh, giving bill cubit two years won't completely end the program that's good that's good to know that's good to know that's where the bar is but um I, that hire, I didn't really end up liking. If he had it gone, sounded, I mean, that, that honestly, that whole process sounded like an alcoholic hiring a babysitter on a weeknight. <laughs> like just, just really, like someone who probably shouldn't be in that position of authority making a really rash and like ill-informed decision on something that's very important. <laughs> yeah, and and if we're, we're going to be talking to- about nothing against Bill Cubit, we're going to be talking about this job in a year or two. Yeah, and, and yeah, nothing against Bill Cubitt. He's better than Tim Beckman. So they do have a true. better coach than the last one. Um, but yeah, that that whole, you know, here, here, go buy season tickets. We didn't kill the program. Um, that that's that, that, was, that was kind of a bad deal. But UCF, I mean, they, they kind of did what uh, an AAC team should do at this point. That's going to be the AAC's reputation. We're going to make good hire, you know, exciting young hires and so a lot of them will work out and then we'll lose those guys and then we'll have to go make another one. But we're, you know, they didn't, they, they got a guy who was reasonably in demand. You know, his name gets brought up quite a bit. Um, they didn't get Babers, I guess, uh, which maybe would have been a little bit more exciting, but no, they, they made a decent hire. And, and, you know, if you're asking Illinois fans, would you rather have Scott Frost or two years of Bill Cubitt, even while acknowledging that Cubitt maybe did okay, They'd probably pick Scott Frost. So Every that time. means you did better. And and this is not a knock against making pulling the interim tag off of a guy because it worked pretty well at Clemson a couple years ago. But uh, I think Clay Hilton was a great hire for USC. I think it's a makeup call for what they saw with Ed Ogeron, and I think they've finally started to. De- I, I'm unraveling so like some of that stuff over there. I just haven't had time to read it. But like at, like Feldman being like Bruce Feldman over at Fox being so tied in with that program. Uh, they really seem to have resentment towards the non-flashy move, they being dumb money. And what dumb money hasn't, I guess, figured out is that every time they make a flashy move, it blows up. And then at the very end, like a, a regular football-ass football coach comes in and does like a good football job, but it's never it never seemed to be enough until until yesterday, really. Yeah. Yeah, Helton, I, you know, if it's true that they gave him five years guaranteed, that's weird to me. Um, yeah. That that I was pretty much okay with it with the thought of like a three year deal and two year option and all that stuff, um, but that that was a little on the odd side and and we'll see. I, I think he did an okay job. I actually when it, when it was announced, I thought okay that makes sense. He did pretty well. And then I went then I went back and looked at their results again and realized oh yeah they barely beat Colorado. They barely beat Arkansas. They they looked good like one and a half of the five or six games that he was there. Um, so I felt a little less good about it then. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you're right. Okay. But I liked the, I liked what I saw against Utah and I liked Utah. That that game was turned around by the, by the picks. And, you know, that was a turnover dependent game, but they were still, they, you know, I, I, I was, I mean, I was there. I, I, that was, um, 
I, I, we'll have a piece coming out later today, which shows that I was there, I guess. But, um, you know, that was a turnover to dependent game that further proved that their offensive and defensive line is just kind of a shambles compared to what it should be. But that's not him. Uh, you know, they, the fact that they were able to kind of navigate uh, such thin lines and linebacking and, uh, you know, win those games, not not lose those games. Uh, as compared to these last few years, then you know that maybe that does say something. And the fact that they only lost to Notre Dame and a smoking hot Oregon team—that's fine. Um, but let's yeah, see, let's see what he does with the staff. Let's see yeah. what let's see what they. Uh, I, I'll skip past recruiting, but let's let's see how the spring goes, and let's give it let's give it a year, and let's maybe just not decide to make USC a national title contender for like. 12 consecutive months. Let's see oh, how they're already, works. they're already in the top 10 next year. Let's not, Jesus. that's right. And, and let's, let's face it. Uh, especially now that I've been boosted by the fact that I talked myself into North Carolina again, and it worked this year. Okay. I'm totally going to talk myself into USC next year. But this is the problem. Now, maybe not with Hilton. Maybe, maybe there's more consistency in, inside the program. And maybe it was just, just the simple fact that the, the very head, the, the most important part, the most, you know, the most important thinking functioning part of this whole system was, a guy who was battling a very serious addiction problem and had a lot of distractions. Yeah. But damn, if I don't hear these excuses and, and, and see this cycle repeat itself with USC more than any other program in the nation, there's yeah. no other program in the nation that gets this just the dumbest benefit of the doubt because of how good they look on paper. And I'm not indicting you or anybody specifically. It's just, it's well, it, every July they become the team. I'm so sick of hearing about <laughs> And, I, and part of that is because they look like they're supposed to just enough. They that's always kinda, do. That's, that's, that's the key. Like if it's, uh, well, Florida heading into 2014 maybe. Like that was such a sustained level of crap that nobody was talking themselves into Florida being a top five team even though they you know, recruited a top five or ten level. But you, the USC has just mastered, and North Carolina to a degree, just mastered the art of looking spectacular just enough to get your attention. What was funny about last year, by the way, was – um, you know, watching Twitter during their when they beat Nebraska in the bowl game, um, watching Twitter in that game, it was kind of you could tell that, like, okay, they're going to be a top 10 team next year. Everybody's sold on them. They won by like three points. They yep. didn't even dominate, they didn't even look spectacular. Adore Jackson looked spectacular, uh, and they still got that buzz. So, I think that's where the line is. I mean, if they had gone out, put up, you know, according to my numbers, some like a 90th percentile performance about eight times this season, I'd be totally on board. Looking at their numbers now, they actually haven't hit 90% since Arizona State. Um, which, by the way, was uh, under Steve Sarkeesian. But they've been firmly in the 60 to 70 range. Um, now, consistency is awfully impressive looking at these numbers. But they, you know, maybe that, that's a sign that they're not ready to be elite. Maybe that's what I'll use to talk myself out of USC next year. Um, that's probably false. I'll probably talk myself into them, but we'll see. Uh, one thing that we should do next, yeah, next week is we will break down the bowls and then also... I think we should put our money on who gets the who gets the dumb buzz because the bowls the, the bowl matchup should be able to we could we'll be able to predict winners and see trends there um, such as who's going to be the Arkansas because someone's going to be the Arkansas. I will still defend Arkansas. I was I was fully on board before the Texas game last year, but that's me. Um, I was I you know I was wrong nonetheless. Again, but. not not so much worried about you as I am <laughs> when I when I do like twenty radio shows but in yeah, the offseason. Yeah, like, Tell me why this Arkansas team shouldn't win eleven games, and you're just like, uh, well, I can't swear on the radio, so. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, we'll be able to, some of the buzz is random. Like, we didn't know that TCU was going to completely and totally assault Ole Miss. Even if you kind of figured that Ole Miss was done, uh, nobody was predicting 42-3. to So that one was organic. But then, yeah, like, you could tell Arkansas was going to probably um, wipe the floor with Texas. So we'll see. Um, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to nail a couple, I bet. <sighs> it's a, so, I'm not going to do the segment now, but I'm already, I'm already eyeballing a few of you out there. All right, Bill. Michigan State. Oh, God. I am going to Indianapolis um, out of of my own free will. Eat at a waffle steak. What, um, what the hell am I going to see on Saturday? Because this is the game to watch. It is a play-in game for the national championship. We, uh, we feel very good about Alabama beating Florida. We feel pretty good about... 
Clemson beating North Carolina, crappy showing against South Carolina notwithstanding. And we kind of know that Oklahoma's in. So this is it. This is the one game I think this weekend that has, that is essentially you could just kind of spindle the bracket off one little extra and have these guys right. as, as the four and the five. Um, what am I going to see? Um, well, you're going to see two rather evenly matched teams. My numbers right now say um, uh, Michigan State 29, Iowa 26. Uh, 57% chance for Michigan State. They, Michigan State is a team that cannot run the ball no matter how frequently it does so. Um, but they can pass. They've got a very good quarterback. Their running game seems to be improving a little bit. Uh, the run We've seen the last two weeks that the run defense or the defense as a whole, when engaged properly, is as good as we thought it was going to be. But they spent most of the year not being that good. It's kind of blown my mind the last two weeks listening to like the pregame, talking about how Michigan State's defensive front might be the best in the country. Um, it was the best in the country that day against Ohio State but they're still like 30th in rushing S and P plus. They just, they, you know, Saquon Barkley even had like a, you know, six yards per carry or something the other day. Um, You know, Penn state lost because Christian Hackenberg's terrible at the moment and they're and Michigan state's offense caught fire. But um, I, you know, (laughs) this is a really uh, interesting game for me because these are the two fan bases I've gotten yelled at most this year. Uh, in terms of what my numbers say, because obviously I programmed the algorithms incorrectly. That's I, I love, by the way, like the, the number of, of concerned responses I get uh, each year about, you know, I'm not sure your methodology is quite right. You might want to go check that um, <laughs> when, when, you know, I was ranked 29th. But here's the deal with Iowa, by the way. I can completely and totally justify Iowa being 29th. Uh, looking at the rest of their, they've beaten one team that was ahead of them uh, in these rankings. That was Wisconsin, who's 27th. Um, the win expectancy from that game, based on specifically the stats from that game, uh, Iowa's win expectancy in that game was 25% uh, that they won, they won, and that's awesome, and congratulations. That's the only team they've beaten that was ranked better than 41st. And, you know, they beat Nebraska by eight and Minnesota by five, and Indiana by eight. And I'm pretty sure I've already said all this on the podcast, but um, like I, I, I feel completely comfortable with Iowa being where they are. I do, I, the one team that makes me uncomfortable and I should be getting yelled at more about is North Carolina uh, because I think my numbers hate their schedule so much that it's kind of skewing things a little bit. Um, you know, because they played two FCS teams, because – they beat teams that are ranked 86, 62nd, 73rd, 90th, 80th, 68th, 55th, 60th. Um, and then, the, the, you know, like with the NC State game, they kind of they look spectacular and then they kind of let out the gas and let NC State back in that game a little bit. So uh, there's no way that North Carolina is the 30th best team, which is what my numbers say. I wish they were higher because I don't like that. I think it looks bad. Uh, Iowa, I can justify. I, I mean, I'm, I'm rambling now, but Iowa is... Uh, they, they, this is a really fun matchup in terms of Michigan State because like, they can defend the run really, really well, and, and Michigan State's not going to be able to run the ball. I'm pretty confident in that. Um, they don't give up big pass plays. Michigan State sure likes the occasional big pass play. I'm, I'm curious how that's going to work itself out. Um, you know, they, they, they rush the quarterback pretty well. Michigan State does not get hit the, uh, Connor Cook sacked very much. There's some interesting matchups here that I'm looking forward to. Is Iowa, this is narrative deconstruction time, is Iowa the worst undefeated team uh, to this point in football history? Not history, <laughs> but modern history, let's say. Um, 1984 BYU was not very good. Um, they beat, you know, they beat like Michigan barely in, in Hawaii and whatnot. Like, that was not a very good football team, and they won the national title. Um, thing about Iowa is that, you know, A, they know exactly who they are. And that can be huge. Uh, like if, if you don't have like the, the blue chip level talent, it's, a, it's an absolute requirement to have a very clear understanding of here's how we're going to win games. And Iowa clearly does that. Uh, the fact that they have, they've only played one top 40 team also helps them win all their games. But, uh, you know, Michigan State's still only 11th, so it's not like they're playing Alabama here. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the Florida State at this point last year, I don't remember for sure. They were somewhere between about like 15th and 20th, I think, in my rankings, about 15th. So they're definitely below that. 
Um, is there looking ahead just a little bit and not that these two teams are interchangeable. I'm trying to figure out what the best matchup possibilities are. If you, if we're accepting the other three teams as inevitable and saying that the Iowa Michigan state winner is the fourth team. I don't know if they're necessarily the fourth seed. Um, I think Alabama, maybe if Alabama completely trucks Florida, that they could jump Clemson. They might jump them this week. I'm really curious about this week's rankings because now OU has the vaunted conference title bump. Right. And Clemson looked, their defense at least, looked like crap against South Carolina. And well, Alabama, yeah, Alabama took its time, but they still beat Auburn by 16, which I think is about what the spread was. What we know about. so far is that um, it looks like Clemson-Alabama will be some form of 1-2. And that would put Alabama regardless of one or two in the cotton and Clemson regardless of one or two in the peat or in the uh, orange. Mm-hmm. And so then I start thinking about matchups. So you have Alabama indoors, you have Clemson out in Miami. I think, and I'm building this just like last week when we built the chaos theory, I didn't build the chaos theory or I didn't ask Bill to build the chaos theory for any other reason than just entertainment purposes. Is there, as we go into this, is there an ideal matchup for you in the combinations that are still left? Um, well, I mean, Alabama, Iowa, that would certainly be one way to prove whether my numbers are right or wrong, because uh, Alabama does everything Iowa does, only better. Um, I'm really, though, I've already seen it. I've already seen it on Twitter. Oklahoma, assuming they don't get the Big Ten champion, assuming they get either Alabama or Clemson, we're going to hear so much about that Sugar Bowl if it's Oklahoma, Alabama. Yep. And I've already, even today, like I wrote about uh, you know Oklahoma and potential matchups and whatnot. I had a Clemson fan on here talking trash about, oh, well, I don't think they won a full-strength Clemson. We saw what happened last year. Like, yeah, yeah, because last year's OU team is the one that's competing for the national title right now. Nothing has changed for OU since last year. Um, I think so, I, I mean, don't want to see that. that unless it's in the final. I think I want to see uh, maybe – Clemson Big Ten and well I guess but that puts Alabama and OU back together I think Alabama Michigan State would be pretty fun uh, in, in that yeah, you know, bashing yeah. rocks together kind of way it would not be high flying football but um, it could be really really it would be intense and physical and, and interesting I think that they would in terms of styles make fights I think they would be pretty fun together um, Clemson OU obviously I mean they're, they're, they're a little bit more spread out of the two of, of those two are the two more spread out of the five teams we're talking about um, they would be pretty you know maybe you want to contrast there and you don't want to bash them against each other immediately but yeah there are some interesting uh, you know similarities and differences here I'm, I, I don't know what I want really I guess that goes you know for life Alabama Michigan State is interesting yeah it's a and rematch we'll, of the 2010? It was, it was the 2010 season. It was on January 1st, yes. 2011. And that was the, was it Cap 1? Uh, one of those. Cap 1 Outback something, yeah. As usual, I'm starting to find a morbid interest. I think it, it goes in with our um, kind of sadness porn thing here, but I'm starting to <laughs> see some interesting, what could be interesting, like like mid-tier bowl matchups. Like LSU could play Michigan. That would be yeah. cool. Texas, I saw A&M versus Texas Tech on the board. I think, love- depending on the bowl, they'd have to agree to that because they usually try and hide that. If it was like Texas and A&M, they would, they would shut it down. Right, um, yeah. But Tech, I think, is in play. Baylor Ole Miss is in play. Huh. I'll, t- I'll take that. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, yeah, it was, 20, it was, by the way, 2011 Capital One Bowl. Um, Thank you. The, the 49-7 Alabama game, where it um, really could have been 77 nothing if they wanted. If Houston beats Temple this, uh, this weekend in the AAC, it's, uh, it looks like they're going to be the representative of the group of five. So we would see Houston. Who would you like to see Houston against? Uh, Houston-Notre Dame would be fun. That would be pretty cool. Um, I, I'm starting to get to the point now where I'm – I'm not shifting away from the playoff matchups because obviously they matter most, but you know, I don't want to short the, what, what looks to be like a really interesting set of matchups. It just like the step below that is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there, there are a lot of really good, there's very few, there's very little superiority this year. I mean, yeah. Alabama is kind of in, in our numbers. Alabama has kind of distanced, <laughs> distanced itself a little bit, but there's a lot of, um, 
that that tier between about number four and number twenty is is pretty packed in, and that could in theory take, uh, result in a lot of bowls. I'll take bowls. Uh, Stanford and Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Is it, okay, is that, is that a Rose Bowl? Yeah. Uh, would it be Ohio State or? Well, that'd be kind of interesting. Would it be Ohio State or would it be the loser of Michigan State Iowa? Ah, uh, yes. I don't That's want. A good I don't point. Want, I don't want Stanford Iowa in the Rose. Why? Just because it's too sludgy? Yeah, yeah. That one doesn't. Just closing my eyes and picturing that one doesn't really, you know. I, I mean, I think I think Stanford Ohio State would be. Uh, oh, Ohio State would be a uh, like a kind of underrated shootout because I, I don't think people necessarily grasp that Stanford's defense is pretty bad this year and that their offense is that good. Right. Um, but they could kind of bring out the best in each other, maybe. There's nothing that jumps out at me. Um, whoever I think. I would like to see a strong defense against Ohio State. I would like to see, yeah, see a lot of these projections now have Iowa and Stanford. Let's not have that. So I guess Iowa to the playoffs. Sorry, Michigan State. <laughs> uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State actually could be an at-large. That's right. That could be an at-large game. Two at-larges uh-huh. yeah. um, in, I think it would be the Fiesta. That would be cool. Yeah, I really, I think in terms of Houston, I, I don't want to see them, um, I don't want to see them against a Baylor type. I want to, uh, you know, a team that is, is relatively similar to them. At you want to see some, something a little bit more physical. I, I want to, well, I want to see a contrast. That's that's kind of what know, about uh, all right. What about Florida State? Oh man! That, yeah. <laughs> all right. Hey, what about Houston and Stanford? That would be. Fun I don't think that could happen. Yeah, it wouldn't. Yeah, be in the rose. Um, yeah, Florida State would be fun because, I mean, I think they would shut Houston down, but Houston might be able to shut them down, at least if they can limit, you know, Cook's big runs to 25 yards instead of six, uh, 70. I think I'd be down with watching that. I'll take Houston, Florida State. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, we'll root for that then. I don't even know if that's conceivable, but we'll go with that. Yeah, because that could happen in the um, looking at uh, – I've got like three or four different projections pulled up here, including our uh, – that could happen in the Peach, technically. So oh, yeah, I guess so. Give it a shot. It looks like every every sugar projection either has Ole Miss or Florida versus Baylor. Um, I would not n- no bias here. I would just much rather see my alma mater play Baylor than Florida. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. It'll be, although I guess you're you're talking about a third string quarterback Baylor situation. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not as sexy as we think it'll be. Um. Yeah. I uh, I'm actually really really excited. I always get really really excited for the mid tier bowls. I don't know. I, it's just the it's the same reason we talk about all our you know, group of five stuff. I just like these games a lot. They're, they're unique. They, if you, if you treat them the right way, they're really fun. They are not portals to what's going to happen next year. And sometimes they're not representative of what your team's been this year. So if you just treat them as neat, like EA sports exhibition, what would happen if we did this and then put this slider over here? Like that's kind of what you're dealing with. You got coaches out recruiting, you got, interim coaches you got kids who are academically ineligible that have been on the team all year like it's it's completely situational football but i just love it because what else are you going to do on like december 29th you're probably staying at some relative's house and you've exhausted all your conversation (laughs) topics so watch the uh birmingham bowl or the you know armed forces bowl and you know watch a crappy team oh by the way uh i saw that you were happy about missouri not taking a bowl bid at five and seven you are yes, yes. They didn't want it. They, they, after the game against Arkansas, there, you know, the, like se- like senior captain Ian Simon was like, "Oh, we don't deserve it. I don't think we should play in one. We don't want to play in one." That's refreshing. Like, yeah, and making that team go to Shreveport to play like Duke, that would be so miserable, and no fans would go. Like I, I saw a lot of Missouri fans saying, "Well, they could use the extra practices." Like they don't even know what their coaching staff is going to be. They're going to hire a head coach. He might not have a complete staff yet. So if it's like, Barry Odom, I would I would say that's accurate. But we don't know if it's Barry Odom. Well, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like with all those unknowns still out there, and, and not you know, you might have like a, a you know the a full interim staff of the old guys while new guys are waiting to come in or something. All of that stuff is just gross. Like, I, I, it just did not fill me with any interest at all. So, I, I, you know, I would have loved to see like Kentrell Brothers get one more game uh, and, and and all that. I hate that his last game was you know in Fayetteville in the rain with nobody watching. Um, but I, I, it would not have been a good experience. I was totally okay, okay. with them passing. 
I've got three bowl projections lined up, and we're going to end the show this way. I'm going to give you all your Shreveport scenarios. I feel like that's the best way to end this week's show. Um, we'll start with which, the home team has SB Nation. So Jason Kirk has Washington. No, I'm sorry. Independence Bowl is, oh, my God, Jason, what have you done? Illinois and Western Michigan. Oh. Wait, wait, didn't Western Michigan just get confirmed to play? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's, that's done. That got confirmed today. So Jason's wrong. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're in the Bahamas Bowl. Um, yeah. Okay. CBS has theirs updated. They have Virginia Tech and Arizona. Yeah, okay. That's not bad. Fox has ooh, Washington and NC State. Yeah, okay. I would take either of those. Neither of those feel very Shreveport-y to me. Uh, Illinois getting involved definitely feels Shreveport-y to me. I think Illinois and Shreveport is about as Shreveport as it can, as it can Shreve. <laughs> I stopped hey, there, was, there would have been, I mean, Gary Pinkle achieved quite a bit, but there would have been at least a little poetry in him finishing his career in Shreveport. But as soon as I realized uh, that there was no possible matchup with like with Nebraska, uh, five and seven Missouri versus five and seven Nebraska in a bowl, uh, that's like the one scenario that would have gotten me behind Missouri accepting a bowl uh, just to, to, so Pinkle could finish his career against Nebraska. That sounds like kind of fun, but um, but no, I'm, that, that did not happen, and I'm totally okay with not watching this Missouri team again. All right, uh, we're going to get out of here. We're super excited because we're finally getting a, a light at the end of the tunnel. I guess we'll be back next week with bowls, and we'll be back next week with playoff, and we'll be back next week with all the fun stories of me driving to Indianapolis. But but listen anyway. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that in advance. 